used to be in lunchroom playing dominoes. I don't want to have to go to funerals. I got to start sleeping at the studio. I don't have no time to be no Romeo. All the love I need is at the rodeo. And we are back. Another Wings podcast. And today's topic is a rewatchables podcast. And today we're going to be taking a deep dive and dissection of your favorite, Finding Nemo. But before we get into everything, I wanted to take a second to acknowledge today's podcast sponsor, and that is Red Bull. Vitalizes your body and mind. The Red Bull energy drink is appreciated worldwide by top athletes, students, busy professionals, and travelers on their long journeys. And now for Finding Nemo. You know, it probably has a special place in your heart as well as it does mine. I absolutely love the movie growing up, so it's awesome to kind of take a deeper look into it and kind of look at everything and, and break down the movie from budget to box office earnings and even the cast and characters in each and every part of the movie. For those of you who haven't heard of Finding Nemo and have been living under a rock since 2003, then I guess I'll have to fill you in and give you a quick movie synopsis. So, the movie revolves around a father and son, Marlon and Nemo, who are two clownfish who live in the sea. And one day, Nemo gets lost and captured, and now Marlon sets out on a journey to find Nemo. And Marlon is absolutely scared of the sea, so he's facing his biggest fears, traveling across the sea on a wild journey, making tons of friends along the way. And everybody comes together to help reunite Marlon and Nemo. And in the end, everything works out, and everybody is happy in the end and it's one of those good heartfelt movies and it's an awesome and easy watch lastly i think the movie was set up from success for the beginning it had a budget of 94 million usd and absolutely smashed in the box office earning 80 or sorry my bad 871 million usd and with a release date on may 30th 2003 as i just mentioned and not to mention it had an amazing amazing director named andrew stanton and he's directed every movie you probably know and love from toy story one to four john carter monsters inc bugs life and honestly a personal favorite of mine wally here at the Wings Podcast, we did come up with three categories that we will be categorizing um, some of the characters and scenes of the movie into. Now, we're going to go over our first uh, award. But before we do, we did want to say there are some rules. Um, um, the same scene or character can make into two awards. Not saying that they're going to win two awards, but it is possible. Our first award being the Dion Waiters Heat Check Award. And this is a scene or character in the movie that has a very small role, but absolutely wins the movie. And for example, Bill Murray in Space Jam. And actually for this, we're going to be picking two people and declaring the winner. For anybody who doesn't know who Dion Waiters is, he is a professional basketball player who is essentially a bench player, meaning that he does not get a lot of playing time, but he is known for making the best of use of his very little playing time on the court. Now, to announce the two nominees for his Heat Check Award. The first nominee, which is one of my personal favorites in the movie, being Darla. Darla is a huge motivator for Nemo and the, uh, the band of misfits of fish in the tank in the dentist's office. Because if they do not get Nemo out of there, he will be scooped up and inevitably killed by Darla the fish killer. Reason being she's a fish killer is because she's just a little girl. She doesn't know how to take care of a fish, but 
all the uncle can give her is a fish. That's all he seems to be giving her for her birthday. So, um, the, the reason Nemo is captured and put in the tank is to be given to Darla. And we don't know she's a fish killer, not just by what Gil and the others say, but they're forced to look at a picture that is set right next to the tank of Darla holding a bag filled with one goldfish that is obviously bottomed up and dead. And overall, I think Darla proves to be a very strong candidate for this award because she is a very big character in the movie and plays a huge part in reuniting Nemo and Marlin. And for our second nominee for the Dion Waiters Heat Check Award is Crush the Turtle. As you may remember him from, because we were like, whoa, and I was like, whoa, and you were like, whoa, dude. That's my impression on Crush. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the applause. It's much appreciated. But uh, he is a very monumental character in the movie due to the fact, well, for many reasons, he qualifies very strongly for Canada this award. One of the reasons being he takes um, uh, Marlin, accompanied by Dory, to the East Australian Current, known as the EAC in the movie, which eventually puts them well on their way to Finding Nemo. And he's like, he's a very well-rounded character. And not to mention that he, while they're on the uh, current and Marlin is telling them stories, he is one of the very, very, very start that gets their room around and gets the whole sea talking about Marlin's journey to find Nemo. And which inevitably ends up to the pelican flying to the window to tell Gil, uh, Bubbles, and obviously Nemo, along with the other fish, that Marlin is coming and on his way to find Nemo. And if it wasn't for Cross showing them the EAC and him listening to their stories and passing and spreading the word to his sons and so he gets passed on and on and on, Marlon and Dory may have not found Nemo. So I think Crush is a very strong candidate and right now he's looking like a frontrunner to me. I mean, to add for Crush, he is portrayed uh, portrayed as a very uh, surfer and a very like, high surfer dude. Like, whoa, dude, totally tubular in the movie. And reason being, which is a very cool fact in my opinion, is that he's portrayed as high because sea turtles in real life actually eat jellyfish. And the poisons inside the jelly don't actually harm them, but instead intoxicates the turtle and has an effect on them much like marijuana does on human which is honestly extremely that's it's amazing so in in all actuality jellyfish are the weed of the sea drum roll please that's my drum roll it's pretty realistic for the dion waiters heat check award is crush the turtle In all seriousness, though, um, Crush is, uh, I'd say, the more qualified candidate. He does play a bigger role than Darla, but Darla does play a very good role as well, and she does rival Crush, but I think Crush takes the cake on this one, and I pronounce Crush as the Dion Waiters Heat Check Award. That, I think this calls for a toast break. I'll see you in about five seconds in your time. Oh yeah, that's the stuff. 
after that delicious toast break, uh, we are on to our second award of the night. What am I saying? This is an award. It's not, a, it's not an award show. What am I saying? But uh, our second category being the best quote of the movie. And some of the criteria is or some of the quotes that stayed with me as the viewer and in general to everybody else who watched it. And why they are important, how they impact the culture, and why they are forever timeless. And now I've picked out three quotes that I especially enjoyed or thought that they were pivotal character moments throughout the movie. And the first one will be starting with Dory when Marlon thought that Nemo was dead and he was ready to give up and go home. And Dory wanted to stay with him, but Marley was trying to leave. And this was written by the uh, the uh, sewage, sewage water area right outside the uh, harbor in Sydney. And the quote is, quote, and I look at you and I, I'm home, please. I don't want that to go away. I don't want to forget. And that's uh, a very big uh, character moment and just really developmental moment for Dory herself as a character due to the fact that she is kind of insinuating herself that she has a connection with Marlon and she knows she wants to keep staying with him and traveling and the journey to never be over. And it really insinuates that bond and that friendship. And I think it was something that viewers may have looked at Dory and realized that she's a lot she may be she's more depth to her than she really looked than, than she looks you know she's 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 got some word she has she got she has feelings to sum it up really and she knows what she's talking about from time to time and now move that brings us to our second quote where we did talk about crush earlier but this is when he was having a father to kind of father moment or high surfer turtle to serious clownfish uh, talk. And this quote from uh, Crush was uh, about uh, him and Marlon talking about how they know when their kids are ready to grow up and let them go. And of course, Crush does his best to explain it to him saying, you know, quote, uh, you never really know. But you, but no, sorry, you know what? Take that from the top. Here we go. Uh, quote: You never really know, but when they know, you'll know. You know. And you know what? I found that quote pretty like you know what? It's, it's not exactly well said, but. You know, you kind of get like you, you really get the feel behind what he's saying. You can kind of tell Marlon does as well, and he. And he's, it's just more, it's, it's really just saying, it's like, it's mutual, you know, you can, you, you understand when they're ready, you understand when they're ready, it's a very mutual thing to move forward. And like, I know it's kind of hard to get from that, but that's really the premise in that, that crush and the message is trying to put, is trying to pass on. So I think that is all very, very, it's a very developed, it's a very developmental moment or very good it show it shows very good, well written dialogue between the two characters, and like it's a really it's a very parental moment throughout the movie. It shows, it just it's just a good conversation, and it's like it's, it may even help like some parents out there watching the movie with their kids. Like who knows? Maybe my mom was like, "Hey, when do I let my kid do this?" And she took me to Finding Nemo, and there you go, crush answer for her. I don't know. And now, now for the the almost the obvious the obvious quote that uh, actually maybe you don't know it, but. It is still used today, and it was also re-revived when the new Finding Dory was released in 2018. But that is Just Keep Swimming by Dory. And, you know, it's really just looked at as her little tagline. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. But, you know what? It can be related to a lot of things. It's like, just keep going, don't give up. Like, just keep swimming. Like, right now, you know, I'm grinding a lot of schoolwork. You just, just keep swimming. You just gotta keep going. It's just really, 
insinuates pushing through in a really fun and playful way that's super easy to remember and catchy. So it can be easily seen as something super motivational and playful. And it does have a lot of meanings. And I think it really does make a good candidate. And that's why I'm going to announce... Cue the drum roll. Super fast drum roll. Ultimate drum roll. The winner of the best quote award. Just keep swimming. And yes, Dory does take the cake due to the fact that it's still used. In, it was a big played a big part of the culture of the movie and was like the really big takeaway and was being said over and over and over again for the longest time. And that movie was released in two thousand three, and it's still in memes. It's still it's still everywhere, and so. It really did have the most impact in the movie. It stayed with the most people. And it's it's a timeless line. Like, come on. Just keep swimming, guys. And now, I think it's time to move to our final category of the podcast. And on that note, our final award... Our final category, I guess, will be who or what won that movie. Our MVP of the movie, essentially. And that can either be, once again, a scene or a character. And, like... We're going to pick a few scenes, a few characters, and we're going to break them down and figure out which one we here like the wings like the best. And at first, at first, at our first uh, pick, I guess, we, you know, you got to love him. He's the brown pelican, Nigel. You can see him spending hours hanging around the dentist office window. You know, he's diagnosing their problems. Oh, you know, did you pull the canal yet? All this. And he's a great friend, uh, friends of the tank gang while Nemo's in there. And he does play a big part messaging back and forth between the tank gang, Nemo, obviously, and whatever's happening in the ocean sea. You know, he was a good messenger back and forth, really helping out and keeping uh, Nemo informed on his dad. And I, I just think he was a great supporting character in the movie. And there's not really a lot of things you can pick out to hate, up, hate on him for. And you know, he went, he even saved, yeah, and he once he even saved uh Marlon and Dory from the of the almighty dumb mass swarm of uh seagulls. Might, 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 but yes, that's an impression, don't laugh. Um, yeah, I think he's just a great character, I think he was a solid, solid contender and for the MVP of this movie. I really enjoyed watching him, and he was a great supporting character, and now. Our, there's a scene, our second pick, and that is the scene of near the, near the middle of the movie when um, Marla and Nemo are riding the AEC with Crush and Squirt and the rest of the turtles, and they are flowing through, and then you can see it's showing from, from animal to animal, from bird to pelican to crabfish to jellyfish, the whole, the rumors getting passed around, the word getting spread around about Marla on his way to find Nemo, you know, he's got people, like, he almost has fans and people supporting him, they know who he is now. And their stories being recognized by the entire, I guess, mar- marine life, like the, all the ocean and sea animals and sea animals and fish out there. So it's it's pretty cool. It's a, you know, and it also does show you know things get around way quicker than you may expect them to, and the impacts or effects aren't really known till later on. But I, overall, I think it was a really good scene, and it was a good feel good scene that really should took the movie to the place that it did and brought it to the ending that it did. I think it's a really contender and they're making it really tough to pick a winner here. And now our final final uh final uh contender participant in this that we've picked and that is Gil, the uh Moorish idolfish in the tank gang. He is the leader, you know, the black and white fish. He's 
he's scarred up, he's all like kind of raspy voice, tough guy type thing. And I think he really provides like the fatherly role of showing toughness and kind of heart that Marlon may not have had or had for Nemo growing up due to Marlon being scared shitless. But I think he like really he plays a father like role for Nemo while Marlon's out searching and he time and time again shows him to risk his own life to get Nemo out of there and to make sure that they're reunited you know he's putting everybody in front of himself while being an amazing leader of the tank gang he sacrifices himself to Darla um like but obviously they make it out and roll out in the bags like plan at the end but he sacrifices himself to Darla if that means Nemo escapes you know and he's was a great leader and a good father figure for Gil and it's hard it's hard to it's hard to argue that he isn't the MVP of the movie and now to announce the winner cue the oh so accurate drum roll oh shit I give up anyways the award for the MVR movie MVP is Gil it was a hard decision, but due to having him having more screen time than the scene in the middle of the movie where the, all the animals get together, and Nigel, I really think that he was just more of a personal favorite for me. As much as I love Nigel, I really wanted to say Nigel, but Gil, I don't know, just something about Gil. You know, his persona, you know, he's part of the tank gang. And he just lays his life on the line. Yes, and you could argue that Nigel did the same thing when he flew, when he flew himself in there. Well, Marlin was pulling him, and he was in the dentist's office flying around. But I don't know. Something about Gil. He was just the MVP of the movie for me. And while Nigel's a really close second, and then we ended up ranking the scene third. But they were all still super powerful moments throughout. And I, ha- I do, I'd have to declare... Gil, the MVP, you know, I do I do declare it's him to be our movie MVP. And it's, it's just, I think it's just, I think it's just the best case scenario for this. Gil is easily, you could argue one, you could argue either way, but I do, I think it is Gil. And we're actually going to be throwing in one other category, I guess, essentially a bonus category. And that is going to be the half-ass internet research. Uh, category, and this is a category where you're gonna do. We're gonna be doing some. Re- we did some research to find any rumors about the cast, stories, or anything, anything problematic that came up, and there is, there is um some rumors or even a theory that is more honestly more likely true than not, and that is not the movie. It's, it's the movie itself, and it is not about Finding Nemo. And in fact, Nemo may not even exist. And let me explain. This movie is about Marlon, and Marlon is the main character, and he is going through the five stages of grief. And to, to further explain this, essentially what the theory explains is that the Barracuda attack at the beginning of the movie is essentially when uh, Marlon's wife, Nemo, and everybody else is eaten, and he's the only survivor. And now, that's when the five stages of grief begin. And of course, the five stages of grief being one, denial, two, anger, three, bargaining, four, depression, and five, acceptance. And many examples are shown throughout the movie. 
are many examples throughout the movie. And one, or the denial, is, you know, you can tell right before the Barracuda attack at the beginning of the, uh beginning of the movie um marlin is a completely different like character he's ambitious ambiguous you know he's happy to finally get his like house for his family overlooking the sea he's super happy but then after he seems very sheltered broken and fragile and he, he kind of takes it on a nemo or i guess just he just take the guest nemo and he doesn't allow him really to live any kind of proper of a life you know he's very he shelters nemo he denies him of any like social interaction really other than school and he isn't even too open about that either and now this leads to bargaining this is when nemo or actually no it's not bargaining bargaining is three anger two according to the theory is when now nemo is out there he's obviously rebelled from being sheltered and just kept just kept up cooped up in a little house or fish house and now he wants to rebel against his father so he goes to touch the butt being the boat and now he is being captured and taken. But before this happens, you know, you see Marlon yelling at him and lashing out at him. And this is the fact that Marlon now really does have to realize that there is a worst case scenario that could possibly play out. And that is him losing what all he has left or considers his family. And now that's really problematic for Marlon. So he needs to scream and yell at Nemo to try to get him back. But obviously this doesn't end up happening and he gets captured. And this leads us to our third stage. Our third stage being bargaining. And yes, guys, this is nice and a long little bonus segment. Uh, or not bonus segment. It is the fourth category that we have to go over. And that is bargaining. And this bargaining is really... It's very... It's trying to reverse a situation that isn't exactly reversible. And this is really common in just anybody in general. And this is really does is shown very well through Marlin in the movie. And this is, for example, him going, okay, if I can just find the goggles, I can get to Nemo. If I can just find P. Sherman, 42, uh, blah, 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 you know, uh, I can, if I can just get out of this whale, if I can just get there, if I can just find him. And that's a bargain, you know, he's trying to reverse a situation that can't exactly be reversed. And, well, it is a very difficult stage to be through in grief in general. It's something that is realistic and that is, I think, is displayed pretty well. It helps this theory, you know, it helps this theory really be, have a, just have a better possibility of becoming a actuality. And I don't, I'm not 100% sure if this has been proven to be real or anything's really happened regarding the theory. But this is just something I pulled up online. And now this is the following, uh, four, the fourth stage, depression. Depression being, he's sitting at the bottom of the whale absolutely just broken given up you know there's no hope left he's just completely drained and he's realized that he all the all actuality of him getting his son back is like thin just absolutely none like that like, a fish going out to do that is like the equivalent of me getting abducted by aliens and my and my brother Jaden or somebody just any my neighbor me and my parents trying to get me and that's on some planet or in another universe and they're just trying to get to them by themselves and with a few other friends or groups of misfits which is absolutely unrealistic so he's finally realizing that that's all kind of toppling onto him and now it's it's an issue so that's a that's that's kind of the examples that were led in this theory for the stage four, and that being obviously again depression. And now is the final stage, 
And this stage is acceptance. Acceptance being when he gets up there and he thinks that Nemo is dead. And he does take it pretty well in the... He does take it pretty well in the movie. It seems to be because he was almost if as he was expecting it all along, I guess. And he really accepts it. He's just... All he does is want to go home. He tells Dory he just wants to go home. He's accepted it, you know. And chances are that he probably was dead all along. And he and accepting that is come him kind of coming full circle and accepting the death of his imaginary kind of fictional loose just just his son we'll say well his son for this theory because it doesn't exactly specifically tell us whether or not that he was real in the movie but i think it does symbolize very well that five stages of grief that are in the movie and i don't know if this theory is true but you know what i like to think of it as a child's movie of a father trying to reunite with his son but that is some fan theory online and i think it is a I, not as much of a category to choose a winner, but I do think that it is, it's something to think about, you know, and there's probably lots of other examples through Pixar and Disney movies, so I'd be curious to see if that's true, and I think this is a great just kind of category to go through and talk about. Sorry to end it off like that note, but you know what, it was important, you know, it was a very, it was very cool, very accurate, and a quite plausible fan theory and some Honestly, it was worth the internet research. And you know what that is? We took our deep dive. We dissected. We picked our favorite parts. You know, we did We did a lot with the Finding Nemo movie today. And it was... I think we did learn a lot. And I think I uh, found a new love for the movie in it. I might just go watch it actually after this. And that's everything that the Wings podcast has for you today. You know, we enjoyed it. Hope you found a newfound love for Nemo like we did. And that's about everything that we got for you guys today. And I'm your host, Carter Salmon, signing off. Before we do, make sure to check out Red Bull to vitalize your body and mind. Once again, I'm your host, Carter Salmon. Peace. Implement that shit into your mind just so you know though Sucker free living, I'ma say that that's the motto So for any nigga on that sucker shit, I'm no hope, bro Mike just had to drop a bomb, Han Solo Got me picking back, seeing bull Quasimodo All about my paper, gotta get my fucking doho Always on the fucking